Psalm 34 is our teaching text. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Let's get this set up here. As I stepped into the cafe, I knew I had found trouble. Taller than the others and slightly tan, but not in an overdone way. My heart seemed to hurry its pace and my cheeks flushed, despite my internal voice demanding I stay cool. I pressed forward through the people ahead of me, not wanting to seem desperate, but knowing I needed to be noticed, given the attention that would bring me what I wanted, needed. Leaning against the cafe's bar counter, I leveraged ever so slightly up on my toes. Not enough to be obvious, but in these situations, you use whatever you can. Eye contact. Ridiculous cheeks flushing again. So close, almost mine. What can I get you? I nearly lost my nerve with my words, but managed to raise a curled hand with an outstretched finger, clearly revealing the object of my affection. This guy right here? She asked with a smirky smile that showed her understanding of such desires. Yes, please. Found my words. As she left to complete the introduction, I couldn't help but anticipate what would happen next. The taste on my lips, the sigh that would escape my mouth, the moment had arrived as I knew it would, the golden tan even more beautiful up close, and as I bit into this tall, perfectly baked baguette, I knew I had chosen well. (sighs) If you're French, you understand what I'm talking about right now. In fact, if you're Oprah... You love bread. (laughs) This is a joke. I love bread. Weight Watchers $12 million tweet. No kidding. Jesus, I am the bread of life. Now, if you're from California, don't freak out. Just put the word kale where Jesus says bread. I recently went to California, and everywhere I went, I kind of just went, wanted to say, give me the gluten. I'll take it. I'll take it. You see, it's delicious. I'm eating gluten. <laughs> Californians with these massive eyes, just like, you see what she's doing? It's so scary. <laughs> but the first point, we are created to commune. We are created to connect with God and others. Think about it. Think about your fondest memories, those memories that make you all warm and fuzzy when you think about them. Can you remember what you ate? Can you remember what you were with, who you were with? Food and people surround our fondest memories 
when you travel so many times, it's, it's what are you going to eat? What am I going to eat? Pinterest. What to eat in London. I have a friend who uh, works at a coffee shop, and any time I've been away for more than three days, the first question he says as I walk through the door is, what have you eaten? <laughs> Italy, pasta. France, bread, cheese, butter. This is the joy. <laughs> Dates. Have you ever tried to date somebody without eating or drinking? Celebrations. Happy birthday! Without eating and drinking, there is no celebration. Sadness. I am convinced that in the United States, the symbol for mourning is a casserole. I'm so sorry for your loss. Here's a casserole. We are made to eat. In Genesis, we see God's first act of extravagant kindness is an entire garden of organically grown fruit and vegetables. Vegans, it was made for you. God is so ridiculously lavish and creative and generous that he didn't just create uh, nutrient-rich crackers and no taste buds. Steak and chips. Crack pie. <laughs> Coffee. It's also where we see our first rebellion against God. Adam and Eve ate the only thing they were told not to. We see Jesus' first miracle taking place around a feast at a wedding. We see Jesus' first temptation tied both to identity and food. Satan comes and says, If you are the Son of God... Turn the stone to bread and eat. If you are the Son of God, turn the stone to bread and eat. He shares meals with tax collectors. He claims to be the bread of life and tells people to eat of him. He feeds the five thousands. He shares meals with friends, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, sharing meals with enemies, Pharisees and tax collectors. His last act before he dies is to share a meal with those closest to him. In John 21, we see him as a third time that he is uh, showing himself to his disciples. And what he is doing is making breakfast for them on the beach. And then as they finish breakfast, he turns to Peter, who at this point is feeling guilty for what he has done. And he says, Peter, if you love me, don't tend to my flock. Don't Be a good person. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my lambs. Even the picture of heaven is that of a feast. The New Testament scholar Robert Carras says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. So much so that his enemies accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Are getting feedback on this? It's okay. There is, I know there's some Canadians here this morning, so I'm quite proud that one of my quotes, one of my uh, readings actually comes from a Canadian psychologist called Gabriel Maté. And he speaks in his book on the realm of hungry ghosts about how from when we are born, 
our nutrition comes always with comfort. We rest in the warm arms of our mother as we are nursed. From that point forward, every time we cry, every time we are hungry or upset, we are drawn close in comfort and given either a nipple or a pacifier, something to nourish both our hearts and our hunger. And so forever forward, we see proximity to others adjoined with the comfort of food. In times of needing human comfort and affection, and it isn't found, we turn to food instead to provide the same. Food is soothing. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like, this is the worst day ever? All the gluten. He goes on to speak about how entertainment has now added, has been added as a substitute for human contact. I don't need real friends. My Instagram friends will just like, like, like. I don't even have to be a real person. I can be whoever I choose to be. Netflix understands. One doesn't judge me. But we have begun to substitute human contact with that of televisions and phones. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I am the bread of life. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me over and over. We see God's understanding, Jesus' understanding of this human need to be filled and offers himself as the one who can fill it. Point two. Appetite, the beast untamed. Instagram, have you really enjoyed a meal unless you've Instagrammed it? Science is now beginning to prove that likes improve the taste and the memory of the meal you had. We are less present than ever as we become more concerned with how people perceive our lives than truly living them. The hashtag food porn has almost 85 million tags to it. Exhibition one. God bless America. That's what it says. Sorry, I'm reading. Exhibit two. You had me at pizza. It's a pizza burger. (laughs) This place is in New York City. If you want the address, come see me afterwards. (laughs) Exhibit three. We're the three best friends that anyone can have. 12,000 likes on that comment. Can you go back one slide? Just to show you in proportion, 4,403 likes on, the, on pizza, but sugar being your best friend gets almost triple. Next one. If healthy, happy food is more your deal, my breakfast, who would like to join me? 4,000 likes. Ten points, if anybody can tell me what this is. Next one. Oh, no, this is my Instagram feed, actually. 
<laughs> when I open Instagram, this is what I see. Hashtag food porn. The next slide is the one you get 10 points for. Anyone know what that is? The cronut line. Can you imagine five years ago somebody saying, you're going to go get up at 5 a.m. to stand in a line for four hours to be allowed to buy two donuts at an exorbitant price and then eat them, and they're going to be kind of like a stale fried bit of dough. <laughs> the cronut line. I won't ask people to raise their hands if they've stayed, stood in that line, but I know some of you in this room have. <laughs> When Caleb asked me to be part of this series, he gave me three choices for topics. Friendship, pain, or eating, food. He might as well have just added online shopping to deal with all of my secret little hidden, <laughs> disgusting parts of my life. I knew almost immediately that it was going to be eating that I would speak on. Because eating is where most of my primary sins lie. As a teenager, I was anorexic. In my 20s, I was bulimic. Have struggled with compulsive eating all of my life. A, a Jewish um, psychotherapist who deals with eating disorders in the Jewish community says that as women, we don't have rituals to mark our lives. And so the one ritual our moms keep passing down to us is that of diet. Over and over, we teach our kids to live, our daughters in particular, to live with constrained uh, versions of a life. Be smaller makes you more important. The smaller you are, the less space you take up. Cinderella, nobody else's foot is as tiny as yours. You win. As a woman with a size 13 foot, I find this somewhat offensive. <laughs> My greatest struggle in preparing for this was thinking that I could only talk if I had won and that you wouldn't listen if I was still fighting. I'm still fighting. I figured if I could put the talk far enough away in the future, I could just diet and fast for like the next three weeks and then at least be a smaller version to be able to say these same, same things, a smidge more credibility. I promptly gained 12 pounds. <laughs> Not a joke. But wow, I want to go away into this quiet hole and lose weight and then suddenly come back and say, I'm all better, perpetuating this myth that I am good, that I have searched for, in, and I haven't searched for God in the bottom of a wine bottle. I never want to share my journey of sin with others. My sin gets dealt with slowly, and although I repent and I turn away and I admit my need for God, each time I go to my wardrobe, my clothes scream that I am a sinner and have made 50 bad choices, and my genes will continue to execute the constrictive consequences for the next four to eight weeks. If, you haven't seen, if I haven't seen someone for a long time, chances are I can't remember our conversation that we had or what we did, but I can remember almost the exact weight I was the last time I saw you. And my enthusiasm for our next meeting will be based on whether my current number on the scale is higher or lower than the last time I laid eyes on you. Or more importantly, you laid eyes on me. 
David Mamet says, we must have power. Stress cannot exist in the presence of power. <laughs> and we know this to be true until five minutes after we've eaten the entire thing. We are hungry for something we cannot name. We are so desperately hungry for something we cannot name. And we were made that way. I eat to feel like I deserve something good. I eat to share an experience with others. See, trying to do a date without eating. I drink to feel confident. I drink to stop feeling inadequate. Am I enough? I eat and drink with abandon to feel free and unconstrained. I taste to see that I am good rather than God. And then I make a promise and say the liturgy over and over again that I'll never drink that much again, that I'll start again on Monday. New year, new me. And over and over again, I break this liturgy and go to confession again. Tim Keller in Counterfeit Gods says there is an ever-diminishing satisfaction in the things we crave. Good things become ultimate things. Envy, competition, and inadequacy have become to dictate our appetites. How often have you said or heard, she can eat anything she wants, she's so lucky. He never has to exercise and he looks like that. I am celebrating the fact that someone can do anything they want with the appetite of their heart and there is no consequence for it. That is what I am jealous of. I am jealous that I have to wear my consequences of my sin for everyone to see. Our appetites become driven by shame, by guilt, by the search for power, by the seeking of peace by the need of acceptance. The very things that I am supposed to use to celebrate his goodness are used to numb my weakness. Him being my portion is not enough. We see this with Eve in the garden. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. No longer was she satisfied to commune with God. She wanted to be equal to God. Our mouths seem to be the doorway to our deepest emotions, the secret cellar that holds dreams and nightmares, beckons to be fed. The longing for community, for being loved, for being thought beautiful, for being accepted, cherished, and known is fed by gastronomical plates instead of generous friends. Our affirmation of the former conferred by Instagram version of the latter. Like, like, like. And once my knife and fork are laid to rest and my red stained glass emptied for the final time, I shut the cellar door, full, but not satisfied. So I seek for my soul's filler with a fresh cork popped or maybe hiding in the cheese box of the white temple I sacrifice to daily. I forget to taste and see that he is good, that I am known, that I am loved, that I am not enough, but that in this way, this is the way he planned it. His sufficiency has never been in question, only my desire to access it. If there's any ever doubt that our appetites are an untamed beast, try fasting. What did you give up for Lent? Coffee? 
I bet after about three hours, your head was telling you that this was a very, very bad idea. We see Jesus going into the desert, and the scripture perplexes me. It says, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, Jesus was hungry. It's like, 40 minutes would do me in. 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Our appetites scream, rise up when we try and put them in a place that is less than God. Here is the thing. Eating should sweeten our joy, not define it. My brother, I have no family members here, so I will say this and hope that they never hear this, but I can somehow imagine what Jesus' siblings felt like growing up with him because my brother was the closest person I know to Jesus. Like, can you imagine? Oh, Jesus, stop being so perfect. <laughs> my brother was just that kid that you really wanted to raise. He was, he was great. And he's fun, which, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's hard to hate someone who makes you laugh. <clears throat> but when he was about 18, my parents went out for dinner, and they had said, do you want anything? We'll bring you something back. And he'd said, yeah, I want, I want a meal. So they went out for dinner and came back. And in the date of being out together, I had forgotten to bring him back a meal. And this perfect brother of mine lost his mind. His reaction being to storm off to his room, and this is where I can sympathize with Jesus' siblings, went and read his Bible. About two minutes later, though, he came out, holding his Bible open in my parents' face and saying, see, see, and he just randomly opened up to 1 Samuel, where it says, then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Our appetites are designed to remind us that we become empty and he is full. I know this to be true because I have three little children and every time I walk into the room, it is as if, it is as if the word menu is printed to my forehead. <laughs> it's amazing how they can go an hour without needing anything, but the second I walk into the room, Mom, I'm hungry. And just as I finished cleaning up the counter from the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, can I get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? <laughs> but as children, they are connected to their appetites and they know that the person who created them, who loves them, who is part of them, who is their mother or their father, is there to nourish their appetite. And they ask without reservation. Let me tell you, sometimes I wish they were a little more reserved. <laughs> I'm cold, I'm hot, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm mad, I'm sad. Their appetites are brought to me on every occasion. That is how God has designed us to be. To have these raging cravings that force us not to the fridge for the third time in an hour, but to him. 
And when I am hungry, when I am hungry after a few hours of not eating, it's supposed to serve as a reminder that every day I become empty. Multiple days, multiple times a day, I become empty. I need to go back to the source. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Psalm 23, he has laid a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. The Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. In New York City, it is a challenge to live life with our appetites, our appetites for success, our appetites for perfection, our appetites for good food, our appetites for the best Broadway shows, the coolest friends, the most exclusive parties. It is hard to keep appetites in check. Give us this day, give me this day, my daily bread. There is nothing better than fresh baked bread just out of the oven. My daily bread, God. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Psalm 107. Isaiah 55. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Abundance, not scarcity. His love and his provision, his plan for community and connection with others and him is meant to be extravagant. Grace is lavished upon us. Number three, ritual. We're actually pretty familiar with ritual. I'm pretty sure you could finish the terms. If you have movies, you have popcorn, right? Cheese and wine or bread. (laughs) You celebrate with cake, champagne. You mourn with casserole. You end work with drinks. You have birthday cake, you have anniversary dinner, you have Netflix and chill, Netflix and chill for the win. It was a trick question, I was actually quite impressed you got it. Can you put up the slide, the quote? Tim Chester says, meals are a powerful expression of welcome and friendship in every culture. This is why Jesus' meals are so significant. They embody God's grace and enact God's mission. Around the table, we offer friendship and celebrate life. Our meals offer a divine moment, an opportunity for people to be seduced by grace into a better life, a truer life, a more human existence. This is what we're doing with Alpha in this church. We're inviting people, we're reclaiming the table to sit around, to share a meal and taste and see that he is good. Not that all Christians are judgmental, but to taste and see that he is good. Hospitality team on a Sunday. God bless the hospitality team. They get... (laughs) Seriously. 
They get here at the crack of dawn. Not to sweep, not to just set up tables and put out pamphlets. They get here to make coffee. And let me tell you, trying to make coffee in a place like this is no easy feat. Getting water from a school tap into a giant 80 cup coffee urn. Superhero powers. <laughs> Making sure the outlets work so your coffee is actually hot. Judith Ruske Rabinor, the psychotherapist that I referred to earlier, she says that ritual can bring healing. She uses the metaphor of Mishkan and says people with eating disorders are disconnected from themselves, others, and the universe. They need a safe place to reconnect and heal. A therapy office can be conceptualized as a Mishkan, a sacred dwelling place where they can reclaim parts of themselves lost to the relentless pursuit of thinness. There, they will also be reminded that their bodies are sacred and that healing involves reclaiming the body as a Mishkan, a sacred dwelling place for the soul. We don't need to have an eating disorder to be able to understand that in today's day and age, in today's society, as humans who are sinful in our nature, we need to be reminded to reclaim our bodies as the sacred dwelling of our soul. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 9 says, What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift from God. That they may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. We reclaim the table by inviting others to it. We watch Jesus over and over, not just choosing his nearest and dearest, his besties. Come on over for Netflix and chill. But he goes to those who are unseen, who live on the outskirts, who are invisible, and he invites them to come to the table. We also invite conversation to our table. Do you remember those nights when you've sat down at a table and, and the food's been good, but the conversation has been great? Do you remember walking away and thinking, man, I feel so full? Not in a like, I need to undo my pants kind of way, but just in like, I can take on the world. I am known, I am seen, I am loved full to the brim with that which we were created for, community and God. We reclaim the table by inviting others and inviting conversation. I'll ask the musicians to come up. And just to end off, I want to take some time for each of us to 
sit quietly and think about this. Today, there were three points. Commune, that we were created to commune with God and others. That our appetite is the untamed beast. And that through ritual, we can reclaim that for what it was intended to do. And so today, you may be the person here who lacks community with God or with others. And God is wanting to draw you close. You may be the person who has let your appetite run wild, either eating too much or too little, trying to be enough. You may realize that your rituals need to begin drawing others in or seeking God before other comforts. It may be that your heart is being reminded about jealousy or self-control or self-loathing. Take a moment to speak to God. Ask for what you need. Confess your dreams and your nightmares. Drink in his abundant grace. Hear his affirmation. I love you just as you are.